Well, if you have your Bibles, we're right into the heart of seven marks of a disciple. And we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 today. I'm going to speak faster than normal. Can that possibly be true? Yes, I had a lot of sugar this morning. I had caffeine and a good night's rest. So we're going to go quickly today because there's something important for us. As we go through the seven marks of a disciple, what should you be doing as a Christian, if you are a Christian or a disciple of Christ? You should be going mark number one, mark number two, mark number three, and you should be grading or judging yourself to see if you actually are up to what would be the biblical standard. Am I doing what the Bible says I should be doing? You imagine this. What if every Christian was in charge of all the amusement rides in the world? Now, we would say Christians should do the better job, right? Christians should do the best job. But what if the, what if the amusement rides were part of the church? What would happen? You'd have a lot of ride closed because there's no workers. Or uh, this ministry is closed because there's no workers because we all know that we've been gifted. We, we, we love Vacation Bible School. We love an air-conditioned room. We love all the benefits of being a Christian or, or associated with Christianity, except when it gets tough or it becomes a requirement for me to do something. Does God require something of us as Christians? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life. So God gave and gave again. He gave his son as the opportunity for us to be saved, and then he gave us eternal life. That's the gift that God offers all of us if we would simply believe and trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But once we become a Christian, what happens? It's like we get amnesia. We forget that there's a requirement. Somebody before us went before us and actually made the way for you and I to become Christians. Someone preached the gospel. Someone sang a song. Someone prayed a prayer. Someone taught a Sunday school class. Someone laid the foundation for you and me after Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. So as we continue to understand the scripture and as what it means to be a disciple of Christ, well, you should, it's an elementary understanding, you should understand that God requires that you do something. Do you understand that? If you're a builder, what should you do? A mechanic, what should you do? Fix or repair. If you're an engineer, what do you do? No one knows. I'm just kidding. That was a mic joke. If you're a preacher, you should preach. If you're a teacher, you should. Y'all, we understand. We can go down and name all kinds of different occupations. We know what everyone should do out there that has a title. But when it comes into the church, what is your title? You look at Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12. I'll, you look at it on your own time. Paul writes and says, these are the gifts that are given by God in the church. You should be exercising your gift. If you're a Christian, you have at least one gift to exercise at the local church. That's your responsibility. Now, there's other things you do out in the community, but there's that one gift that you have, at least one gift, to be used at your local church. Now, we're not all from the same local church, but we're going to see today where Peter talks about there's a warning and then there's an encouragement. As always in Scripture, God wants us to get off the old path onto the new path. And let's read together in 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, what's he saying therefore for? Go back to chapter 3. You go back and look at all of Christ's sufferings, the call to be blessed, to be a blessing. And then since he tells us all this has been done for us, we have a responsibility. Jesus has died so that we can actually have this new life. Therefore, since Christ suffered, and most translations don't say for us, it just says suffered, in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live in the, the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the, what does your Bible say? 
the will of God. This is something that everybody says, I want to know the will of God. Here is one aspect of the will of God. If you're a guest with us, you've heard me explain it. The will of God is not just one thing. It is like looking into a kaleidoscope of colors, and the will of God is multifaceted. This is one of the wills of God that you arm yourself and be ready. As you'll see in your notes in just a moment, God wants us to war against the old way. Verse 3, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it is strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him, that's Jesus, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Now, this is a mouthful. Here we go, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, what does the Bible say? Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, I underline this in my Bible, double underline, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Church, Christians, listen, who gives you the gift? How do you give it out? As he supplies. You say, well, I want to be like him or I want to be like her. God might not have yet supplied you with that much faith or that much ability yet. He wants you to mature and grow so therefore you can actually be used in his kingdom in greater and greater ways. Let me start that again. Let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Shabbat should read that one again, right? Yet in anyone, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for the judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Last verse. Therefore, let those who suffer according to, what does your Bible say? Here it is again, the will of God, uh, their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Let's pray together. Father, bless the reading of your word today that we might have full understanding. And not just understanding, Lord, but we may application as ministers of the gospel, as good stewards of what you're teaching us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to look at your Bible, if you, I mean your notes, if you would, for Peter. Peter commands, and you look at, who is this written to? If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, go back over and flip with me, if you would. And what does your Bible say when you begin? It says the author has got some background notes. Mine does. It says the author is Peter, the Apostle Peter. And then Peter writes, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of, and he lists those people. 
And he lists all those people. And then he says to the elect, that's those who us that have been saved, it's, it's for you and for me. So when we put it in the present tense, it is a past tense message with a present tense and a future tense meaning. Meaning it is applicable today. It's applicable yesterday and it's applicable tomorrow. Is that the way God works? Well, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So is his word when we make application that actually applies to us. Now, there's some things in the Bible. If you go back and look at the book of Job, you'll find Job's three friends were foolish. They gave him foolish advice. So there is foolish advice in the Bible. Did y'all know that? Did y'all know there's error in the Bible? But it's not from God's holy word. It's from Job's friends who actually gave false testimony on behalf of God. And God said, I'm going to strike them dead if you don't pray for them. So if you go back and read the book of Job, make sure that you're reading God's word in Job, not Job's friend's advice. Because if you read his friend's advice, you're going to get bad advice and you're going to actually be on the wrong side of God. Also, when you go back and look, you say, well, what does the Bible say about the Jews and their, their appetites and their dietary restrictions and their worship? Old Testament worship, we know, that is the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. We do understand that God never changes. Amen? His moral laws never change. Thou shalt not kill, still today is what? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. It applies. God's moral law never changes. But the things for the Jewish people was very specific to a group of people. And so we can actually say that, we, we can learn from that, but we can actually make application in our own personal lives in the New Testament and learn from the Old Testament as well. But some of those restrictions don't make application to us today. Well, Peter commands Christians to fight like warriors in order to keep the spiritual mind of Christ. Our thoughts and responses should be all seasoned with truth, and I put smothered in grace. I was thinking of Sunday dinner when I was thinking of that note, right? Just, just, just put it out there, seasoned with truth and smothered in grace. If you look at later, Colossians 4, 5, and 6, Paul tells the church, listen, do it all with grace, seasoned with salt. Put some extra seasoning on there so that actually... Jesus might be glorified. Our whole purpose is to bring him glory. Did you know that this morning? Your purpose of your life is to bring him glory. What's the chief end of man? To bring glory to God. That's what, your, that's what our responsibility is to do. Well, we can look and see that Paul and Peter, Peter tells us right here to have the mind of Christ. Think like Jesus thinks. Y'all knew this was going to happen. I didn't. I should have known, but the Lord ties everything into we didn't know this week that the Supreme Court was going to do what they did. We were teaching kids that they were fearfully and wonderfully made from Psalm 139. We, we, we prayed for that end, but we didn't know it was going to happen. It happened on Friday when the children took up their offering, their final offering, to help the Aiken Care Pregnancy Center, uh, that we were actually wanted to choose life. We were teaching kids all week, you're worthy, you're, you're made in the image of God, and it's only through the, our Creator. And then we find out today, uh, that Friday that actually the, the Supreme Court on the Dobbs decision basically changed and said uh, Roe versus Wade was basically null and void. Now we know it's in the states, but I want to tell you, as a, just as a Christian, forget that I'm a pastor for a moment, I've heard more negative comment, I'm sure you have as well, and some of you have thoughts this morning. You know, one pastor said, be careful what you preach this Sunday because there's people who oppose your thoughts. Y'all know I really care about that, right? If you oppose me, I, I, it doesn't matter. If we have the mind of Christ, let me just ask this question for you. Let me help you this week as you have those conversations uh, with church members. And actually, I, I'm supposed to jump right into a video. Can y'all cut to the video? This is our Southern Baptist uh, uh, ERLC, our Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission. They did put up a, a, a video for us on Friday uh, for an explanation. And we do have some helpful tools that would help you uh, in actually having that conversation. But 
let me, before they show the video, what does Jesus think about life? He's the creator of all life, no matter how it gets here, he's the creator of life, amen? So what does he think about life? He's pro-life, just for the record, okay? So we're supposed to have the mind of Christ, so how should we think about this decision? Can I tell you, hey, listen, we, do we care about women? Yes, the women's right to choose? I don't give two hoots about that, right? Because God has chosen. If you're pregnant, listen, you're not pregnant unless you have a baby inside of you. Did y'all know that? You can't be pregnant. It can't be an early pregnancy or term pregnancy or any of those things until you're pregnant with a baby inside of you. You can't explain it any other way. But I, I love women, I love men, but I want the family to understand, listen, God has already spoken, and therefore it doesn't matter what we think as a uh, popular culture or American culture or world culture, it's what does God say. And whatever the mind of Christ is should be our mind. Would you agree? We season our conversation with salt, with grace, but I want you to see this. This is something that can help you if we can go to that. And I meant to show this to you when we first started. Watch this just quick video. Uh, More lives are now protected today than yesterday. This morning's release of the Dobbs Supreme Court decision marks a true turning point for the pro-life movement. It is a turning point that we have continually prayed and advocated for. For 50 years, Christians, pro-life activists, and many others have worked tirelessly to get to this moment. Their commitment to human dignity and justice has achieved the most significant victory in the history of the pro-life movement. Each and every single person who has been part of this effort can and should rejoice. But even as this chapter comes to a satisfying close, we must understand this is not the end of our important work. The issue of abortion has now been turned over to the states. In effect, the major change for us is proximity. Instead of solely pleading our case before federal officials and courts right here in Washington, our work will now take us just down the road to our state capitals where our neighbors are helping to make decisions. That means a consistent, convictional pro-life witness is needed now more than ever in our legislatures and local communities. That same urgency, that same moral clarity, and that same Christian witness and kindness are needed now as much as ever. Let us continue working toward a day where abortion is no more. Our God-given rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are extended to the preborn, so that a new birth of freedom will be made available to a new generation. So, let us rejoice that we live in a nation where past injustices can still be corrected. And let us roll up our sleeves together once more and get to work loving and serving women and caring for their children. Your ERLC is here to help, and we can't wait to partner with you to save preborn lives, serve vulnerable mothers, and support the flourishing of families right next door. And we celebrated that. If you go to ERLC.com, that is your Southern Baptist. That's us. When we give a little bit of our offering goes to support that, when we go in actually together, have a spokes or our voice for us when we can't speak. If you can't speak for yourself, uh, we speak together collectively. We passed at the Southern Baptist Convention in California uh, a week and a half ago that actually we very much support and looking forward to the day that Roe versus Wade was overturned. The Dobbs decision, as it's called, would actually be where life was back, given back uh, uh, to America in some way. But we do have a responsibility, just like Peter tells us, how should we address our lawmakers and how should we address those? Maybe some of you need to be running for office so that we actually have a pro-life voice there, a, a voice of Christ, a mind of Christ in those positions of authority. Because the Bible is very clear, 
Who ordained life? Say it loud. Who ordained life? Who ordained the church? Who ordained government? God did. So when people tell you don't talk about religious and po- religion and politics in your house, that's an uh, actual word from the devil. Did you know that? If the Lord ordained our religious opportunities that we have today, if the Lord ordained our government, should you be talking about those things? Did God have the church and did he have the government in mind when he created them? Is that the mind of Christ? Should you have the mind of Christ? Do you speak about those things? You should. Don't fear away from those things because God has given you to be his image bearers. We taught the kids this week, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are now an image bearer of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you speak, you should speak as Christ. When you act, you should act as Christ. It's never perfection. We know that. We know we, we live in sinful bodies, and we have to ask for forgiveness on a regular basis. But I want you to understand, have that mind of Christ. Here's what we're told also in the scripture in here in 1 Peter chapter 4. A Christian's old sinful life is in the rearview mirror. Enough time has been wasted in sin, so a believer must not look back or go back there. Would you agree? Don't spend time back there of what I used to be. This is what I am and not yet to who I'm going to be. Uh, now, there's some the people who teach, listen, sanctification is not just a one-time event. I want to tell you, sanctification happens, okay? That means you've been set apart. Does everybody understand that? When Jesus sanctified you, he took you out of your old sinful life, and he set you apart on the new, light, new life. Paul says, behold, all things have become what? New. Not that old life anymore. All things have become new in your life. He's going to help your language. He's going to help your attitude. He's going to have all the things that you actually need to have the mind of Christ. He's going to do it with and for you. Understand that? You are being sanctified as you grow as well, being set apart each day. But if you died today after giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ, God has set you apart, and therefore you will go to heaven. It's a one and done kind of thing. It's the same number of times that Jesus died on the cross, which is how many? One. You must give your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ once and for all. It's done. You can't make Christ be crucified again. Some people say you've got to crucify him every time that you go to a religious service. We've got friends today that will be kneeling today and crucifying Christ all over again because someone told them that's what they're supposed to do. He, will, he died once and for all for whoever will. Amen? Whosoever will. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says what? Shall be saved. This is his word. You can't go and make up what the preacher or the priest or your teacher or grandma or grandma, grandpa used to say. What does the word of God say? This is the truth we find in him, the power of God. Look at your notes, if you will. When a person becomes a Christian, their unbelieving family and friends can become resentful and surprised that they do not think like them, value their values, and run hand-in-hand hand with them into sin. Can you imagine that? How many people have friends, and how many of y'all today, when this Roe versus Wade thing, this Dobb decision was, when it popped up, what do people do? I've seen some friends, I've been shocked, that are in the medical field that have actually have just absolutely lost their mind that the women don't have the right to choose anymore. Well, God's already chosen, so women, let me tell you today, you don't have the right to choose to kill your own baby. God has given that life. God has put that baby in that womb. It is God. You say, well, I know this situation, and we always get to the worst case scenario. There's bad case scenarios out there because there's evil all around us, right? Since Adam and Eve sinned, there's evil. Why does somebody that lives in sin get pregnant? Because that's a natural happening that God made from the beginning. Man and woman should be fruitful and multiply. It just happens. How can my mother who loves the Lord, she's been trying to get pregnant for the longest time, and she can't. And that other woman who's running the street, she gets pregnant. We ask the question of why. The answer is something's wrong in the first scenario, right? 
We didn't make the biology of the body. We know that since sin, there's all kinds of things. Cancer, heart disease, all the things we can fill in the blank say, these are the things that are wrong with life because of Adam and Eve's sin. But that same woman running the streets, she gets pregnant because it's a biological truth that if you do these things, you will get pregnant, right? I know we have children in the room. That's why I'm trying to keep it as G as I possibly can. We understand these things to be true. Sin has caused a multitude of problems for the human race. So we can't always understand it. We always ask God, God, why? I don't get it. And I ask the same questions I want you to know. But the truth is, a biological act creates a biological being, right? And God puts that there because it's a natural act. Well, let's continue real quickly. If you would look at the, Jesus Christ is the judge of all, the living and the dead. The gospel gives all men the opportunity to repent and live according to the Spirit, to God in the Spirit. You say, well, how in the world can that be? How does God do that? The answer is, I don't know the answer. But I do know what the Word of God says. So Paul says it. Peter says it here. And I'd like to show you. Go over just one, if you would, just a couple pages to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 with me. And let's look at this, what, what John says. So you got three different men writing the Word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they write the same thing. Let's read together. In beginning verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called, what does your Bible say? Children of God, therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. You cannot be surprised when your family turns against you, when your family shuns you, or when your friends make fun of you or call you names. It's going to happen. Peter tells us it's going to happen. Paul tells us it's going to happen. John tells us it's going to happen. Church, guess what? It's going to happen. Every time you name the name of Christ, your coworkers say, I know when I got saved, when I was in the Navy, oh, Clint found religion. That'll go away in a couple weeks. That'll wear old. Thank God it hadn't worn old. Thank God it hadn't gone away. How, Jesus is as real to me today as he was the day that he saved my sorry soul. Amen? I was good for nothing. I was doing the wrong thing. The old life was a bad life. I made bad choices. I, I willfully sinned. I intentionally went out to do wrong things. I made plans to do wrong things. That's what evil or sinful people do. Why are y'all looking at me like that? Because y'all were the same way. If you were not saved, even as a child, listen, we kept our grandkids this week. My third grandchild, I told my son, listen, we got work to do. Good grief, that child's wild as a bug. When you say no, he says why? And he learned this week when Papa says no, it, it really is a no. He really, he's serious about his no. There's skin-to-skin -skin contact that makes it understand that no is no, right? Don't touch it. i tell you a funny story. I said, don't touch my wallet. He picked it up and threw it across the room. Pick it up. He looked at me like, no. He's two. Pick it up. And he saw a minute, so he went and picked it up, and then he threw it up across the room at the television, the other side of the room. He said, pick it up. No. I'm going to pop your backside if you don't pick it up. And he went over and grabbed it, because he knew I was serious, and he put it on the table. I said, don't ever touch it again the rest of your life. And he, every time he'd come in, I left it there so he would look at it. He'd come in and look at it. You touch it, I'm going to pop you. Right? How much greater does God do for you and me? Does God not tell you on the inside, don't do that, don't say that, don't respond to that matter. Listen, you shouldn't do that. I want to encourage you, love that person. How do you pray for somebody that you don't like? Anybody got some people in their life that don't like? Now, we're commanded to love them, right? But there's people I love but I don't like. And I say, Lord, help me because it's me. I've got a problem. Change my heart and God's constantly through the Word of God and through the Spirit of God and through encounters, He's changing 
my heart. I'm changing daily. I'm being sanctified as well. But so should you be. You should be praying, Lord, help me, because I don't like a love. Well, John goes on, and I'm not going to finish reading that. He talks about sin and the child of God, the imperative of love and the outworking of love. What does it look like? And in verse 24, now, verse 24 in that 1 John 3, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. That's a lot of words. That means me in Christ, Christ in me. Got it? Say that. Me in Christ, Christ in me. That's what that means. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. God's Holy Spirit tells us that we're saved. God's Holy Spirit affirms in my heart when I hear the word of God, I say, amen, that's true in my life. I know that I'm saved. I'm saved for how long? Ever. Because the wages of my sin, it was, and it is, but it's past tense for me. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul comes back up because he knew somebody would say, the Lord knew somebody would say, what about fill in the blank? And then Paul writes in Romans 8, 35 through 39, he says, what can take you from the hand of God? I am persuaded near to death nor life. He goes through all these different things that he lists that we deal with daily in our lives. And he says, I am persuaded that nothing can take me from the hand of God. So church this morning, who can take your salvation? Not even God himself. He can't take it. He won't because he can't betray his nature. He is God. His nature is love. His nature is truth. There is nothing going to take you from the hand of God. You say, what about if I sin? Then I just go sin all I want to because I'm saved. That's where Romans 6 comes in and says, God forbid. Don't go and say, I'm going to go sin more because I'm saved forevermore. You don't do that. Your want to changes. You are a new creation. You want to do the right way. You want to be righteous in your life. Do you understand? That's what God says for us in this word, that we're different than when we put on the turn signal, we change the old way. Don't look back in that mirror because that mirror will show you all those stains and all those sins that you used to do. And sometimes, listen, I've told, I've told y'all before and I've said it before, anyone that tells you that sin is not fun is lying or never did it right. Right? Sin has its fun. It has its season. But the Bible says that fruit's going to come about publicly, right? Your private sin my hands today and different things in my body hurt because my dad just says it's the high cost of low living. Have you heard me say that before? If you live low, it's going to cost you high when you get older. It comes out in pain in other ways and financial issues and family issues. Uh, look at the family that's uh, broke apart today. And I got to tell you this, and this might be, sound heretical to most of you, abortion is not the problem today. Abortion is not the problem. The abortion, how do you stop abortion? Do you stop the adultery and the fornication that happens on the front end whenever men and women get together outside the bonds of marriage and actually have inappropriate relationships? Because when abortion comes, all other judgment comes. And listen, abortion is, uh, is a judgment from God. Homosexuality is a judgment from God. God's like, you want it in America? You can have it. Today, uh, children are being adopted by same-sex couples. God forbid he said, well, there's love in that family. It's unnatural, and we don't want to talk about it because we, we might be called homophobic. Here's the deal. Call me what you will. I'm going to stand on the word of God. A man and a man, a woman and a woman is unnatural before a holy God. It's a sin, and the Bible says if you act on that sin, you perpetuate that sin, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to heaven. There is no such thing as a Christian homosexual acting out their homosexual act. Do you understand? 
You say, Pastor, I don't like that. that that's going to make people come be mad at you. There's people mad at me in town. That's why we have a security team. We want to take care of you and us because, well, listen, we're going to speak the truth in love. How else can we possibly say it? If the building was on fire, we said, hey, guys, if you, just, if you don't mind, I know y'all smell that smoke and see the flames, but, hey, we're just going to see if we can get it under control before you get out of the building. What's going to happen when this building comes on fire? What happens? Look up. The city of Aiken made us put all these sprinkler systems before I got here. Look at all the sprinkler systems. $50,000, I think, of sprinkler systems. There's an alarm that goes off. There's lights. And by the way, if you have epilepsy now, they have the lights have to chime together, I think it is now, because it used to be like this. And ADA requirements made us change it. That it's all nice. They're all nice now. But they're going fast. And what's the building doing? The building itself is not a human. But what is the building doing if it smells smoke? There's detectors all over this place. And if there's flame, what does it do? It starts putting water on everything, not even the flame. And it starts actually making this alarm that's making this loud sound saying, get out of the building. This pleasant voice comes on and says, please exit the building. You're all these convenience, right? It says, there has been an emergency. We do it every month. It alarms, it strobes, and it's telling you the building is telling us to get out of the fire. Even when we practice, we practice, hey, get out of the fiery building. We practice it once a month, at least. Or when other children pull the alarm, we practice it as well. How much more we as Christians are telling our brothers and sisters, get out of the fires of hell. And there's only one way to get out of the fires of hell, and that's to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, I don't want to offend anybody. Do you think Jesus offended people in his time? When he called the Pharisees a brood of vipers, sons of the devil, do you think that if I called you, you're a devil's son or devil's daughter, get out of my face. Do you think that would offend you? Good morning, welcome to church. You look like Satan's son. How would that come off, right? That's what Jesus said in love because he wanted them to change their ways. And some of the Pharisees, some of the priests, they changed their ways because they were confronted with the truth of God. That's what you and I are supposed to do today. Have the mind of Christ. Have the mouth of Christ. Have the fingers of Christ. And when you text or text, right, or email, have the ways of Christ. Let me, let me continue because we're getting bogged into Christ. Jesus is soon to return. That's what Peter says. Christians must be serious and watchful using their God-given spiritual gifts for his glory. Church, what would happen this morning if we all used our giftedness here at the local body? What would happen? We would change Aiken County like that. Like that. And just not just us. Think of the next church and the next church. If every believer, those who call in the name of Christ, would use their spiritual gift in the way that God said to it, the local church, we would saturate this town in no time at all. We would saturate this town with the gospel and with love and hospitality. And when the evil would come, we would see the evil and call it out. And God would do a, 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 a miraculous work in our lives. You say, what, what are my gifts, man? You're talking about something I've never heard of before. Well, guess what talked about a lot when I grew up that I can remember? But look at Romans 12. You take notes. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. We won't read them today because you can read. You read them for yourselves and see if you find yourself there. You'll find yourself wanting to teach and have the ability to teach. And so when you teach, somebody says, hey, I really learn a lot when you teach in the small Bible group, in the small study. Hey, thanks for serving. You're always there serving. You can see your gifts show up in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are the gifts, some of the gifts that God has placed in the Word of God so that we can understand. Peter warns us about fiery ordeals, and I circle the word will. Fiery ordeals will take place in the Christian's life. These things take place to test the quality of a Christian's faith. Christians must not act as though something strange or unusual was happening. Peter says, look, so don't act like somebody's 
done something awful to you because they're going to trash talk you. They're going to they're curse you. They're going to they're mock you. The world hated Jesus first, and it's going to hate his disciples. So don't be shocked whenever your family trash talks you, when your friends make fun of you, when your coworkers do all that stuff and speak evil against you. The Bible says, blessed are you. Blessed means happy. You rejoice. You say, well, how in the world can we rejoice when we've been criticized for the name of Christ like this? Right? Just do it. Well, Lord, I don't know how. Help me. Who lives the Christian life for you? The Holy Spirit in and through your life. You're not a puppet, but it's very much like a puppet. That He says, listen, when you call on his name, guess what's going to happen? He will answer and he will respond to you and help you. He's there in your time of need. Next point, if you'll see, Christians must share in Christ's sufferings. The faithful keep on rejoicing so that when he, his glory is revealed, they will rejoice, the Bible says, with great joy. Can you imagine when you get to heaven? Now, we've sang the songs of glory. We sing the songs when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. But then we forget it when Monday comes around, right? Sunday we sing with all of our hearts. And then Monday we go, I can't believe my job, my supervisor, my family, my fill in the blank. It's going to be great joy one day. How many of you have someone that you know that's already gone on to glory? Anybody know anybody? They are experiencing great joy before the throne of God. They're singing. If they could come back and say, listen, Peter said it. Pastor's preaching it, but I've experienced it. Listen, it's coming. There's great joy because you glorified Jesus here on earth. Listen, when you get to heaven, it's incredible. They don't want to come back here. Our loved ones don't want to come back. They want to stay and have this great joy. Blessings are promised to those who are insulted and reviled for bearing the name of Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of glory and the God, of God rests upon the believer regardless of the circumstances. The world curses Jesus. We worship him. Amen? The world's going to hate him. Listen, they did back in the day. They crucified him. That's why we have crosses all over the place. They crucified our Lord and Savior because he spoke truth. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was and is the King of kings, the Lord of glory. Matthew 5, 3 through 12, that's the Beatitudes, if you want to write that down. Go home and just meditate on those for a little bit. You want to be humble today and you want to come and say, you want to cry to the Lord? He's there ready to listen to you. He loves you enough to hear what you have to say. He loves your heart. He made your heart. He loves your voice. He made your voice. He wants to hear what's on your heart because he already knows. But he loves spending time with you. Don't talk to God like you do a dog. Sit, get, eat. Talk with God. Sit down like he's your best friend, like he's your heavenly father. And say, Lord, I've got this on my plate. I don't understand this. And put it before him. The Bible says he already knows, but he wants to speak with you and with me. Well, finally, Christians must inspect their lives daily. We have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be saved. Church, you understand? The gospel equals good news, if you want to put that down. The good news is that you're a sinner. You're lost and undone without Christ, but Jesus Christ died for sinners. He said he came to this earth to save sinners. That's his whole purpose for coming. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. That's the truth of the word of God. Christians should continue to do right and commit their souls to their creator God. This is his will. How purposely did we come to the day that the Lord put the day the way it is that we're celebrating the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And listen, let me, let me be clear. I'm not bragging like insulting people in their face. 
But I'm thanking God that God finally gave us a little bit of leadership. And I'm praying for them. If you've been praying for the Supreme Court, you've been praying for leadership. It took some courageous, obviously it took some intellect, but it took some uh, courageous actions for them to do what they've done, especially with the leak. I love it. I love a good fight. Now, I've got to be calm in the pulpit, but I, I stink and love a good fight. And this is, uh, this is giving the old devil one in the nose, but here's what we've got to do. Locally in our state, we must be steadfast. We must be focused on what the Lord Jesus Christ says we're to do. And I'm telling you, let's put people in place. Let's, let's pray for those in authority. Call your senators and representatives and say, hey, I know you guys, you ladies are now on the front street. I know you're going to get lobbyists and you're going to get people coming after you, telling you to make laws in our state, but we, we support life. Call them today. Pray, say, I'm praying for you. Don't just bully them. Say, I know you work for me and I'm praying for you. Here's the question that we have at hand. When you inspect your life, are you doing what God expects? That's today's sermon, inspecting the expected. What does God expect you of you? To have the mind of, oh, three of you know that. What, what does God expect you to have the mind of? Christ. And if you have the mind of Christ, it will be in all things. Your finances, the mind of Christ. It'll be in your, your physical life, right? Some of us need to work on that and, and working on that. It's those things. How do you stay healthy uh, in the Lord all around, physically, emotionally, spiritually? Most people now are spending so much money on mental health today. Some of the issues of mental health, you no, know, mental health's real, mental health issues are real, but it's growing exponentially in our culture today. Why? Because people are leaving the God that we love. We're so far away from God, they're getting into things that's causing their body. When you do the wrong thing, listen, it'll drive you crazy. No pun intended. It, when, you, when you live in sin, it will drive you to the point of actually, where does the devil always want to lead every human because you were made in the image of God? Where does he want to lead you? Sin, 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 further away from God, further away from God. And then he'll get you so low in your life, he'll say, your life's not worth living. You should take your own life. You should, this world would be better off if you didn't exist. That's what he'll tell you. He'll lie to you every time. And God's in heaven screaming, listen, the word says, I love you and I created you for a purpose. And I died, my son died for you. That if you just give your heart and life to, to Jesus Christ, if you'll believe on him, I'll give you life and I'll give you purpose and I'll give you meaning. And the devil's like, don't listen, don't listen, don't listen. He wants nothing good for you. That's why he let this happen to you. And most times when things happen to people is because people were in the wrong place at the wrong time. We made decisions. That's not every case, but a lot of times our old life took us to the places we shouldn't have been. And God says, I want to redeem that. I want to give you a second chance, and some of us a 20-second chance, right? Hey, I, I want to love you, and I want to show you what it means to live with the mind of Christ. That's what he wants for all of us today. And if we would simply submit to him and say, Lord, I want that. I don't know how to get that, but I want that. I want exactly what Peter's talking about today, what Paul talked about, what John talked about, what the pastor preached today. I want the mind of Christ in my life. I want you in my life, and I want to have that gift and use it for your glory, that I might enjoy you here and now, endure the hardships, but, Lord, I can't wait to see you face-to-face to have that real exponential glory that only comes from being with the presence of God. Church, that's my, that, and, and, and non-Christians today, if you're not a Christian, you're not part of the church, so that's why I say friends sometimes. You're our friends. We love you. But you've got to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ to be part of the church. And church, if you're a member of the church of, of a body of Christ, then you in turn, as we've been telling the kids all week, you were made for a purpose, and that's to bring glory to God. So we're here on this vacation Bible school morning, here on this life morning, here on this Lord's Day, to say, listen, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. It's not us and not of ourselves. It's Him through us. And if you will actually turn your life and submit your life fully to Him, he will in turn give 100% of himself to you 
so that you might live this Christian life. It's the best life ever. I've lived on both sides of the coin, and I want to tell you the Christ life is the perfect life, if you will, the life that actually he gives you a new life. All those old things are passing away. Let's pray. Father God, this morning as we talk about celebrating in our country, we know there's work for us to do. We don't minimize and put our hopes and trust in the Supreme Court. Uh, we put our hopes and trust in the Supreme God. And Lord, we know that you're supreme, our creator. But as Peter reminds us today, Lord, let us do all things. Let us bring glory to you as unto our creator because you loved us, but also as unto our savior because you've given Jesus Christ for us. Lord, we can't tell you enough. Thank you enough over and over again. Sunday after Sunday, week after week, private time after private time, we say thank you, thank you, thank you. In our hard times, help us because we need you. Lord, let us bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray.